Um, Father, thanks for today. Thanks that you're with us. Thank you for your love and the ways that you bring new life to us. Um, I pray, God, this morning as this, this message goes forward, that anything that you want to stick in our hearts, that, that you would do that, that the Holy Spirit would cause those things that need to stay with us, to stay with us, and everything else, um, Lord, just uh, let it fall off, because we just want what you have for us this morning. And so we give this time to you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen? Amen. So... We have been in a series that we were going to, la- last week we are going to wrap it up, and, and so now this week instead we're going to wrap it up, and the series we've been doing is uh, the big three, the big three in 2023 where we've been talking about our mission as a church, to love God, love others, and follow Jesus together, and last week I wanted to talk more about following Jesus and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, because that's what the whole phrase following Jesus comes from, being a disciple. And if you weren't here, um, I mentioned this thing that was caused for great discussion, I think, in some of our small groups that I heard about anyway. Uh, and the thing that, that I talked about, and this wasn't new, I've mentioned this before, is that um, some people think that being a Christian is one thing, and then being a disciple is kind of another thing. It's like two different categories, like maybe you're a Christian, and then if you're really serious, you're a disciple. And, and lots of people, um, even in our church-going Western church culture, would say that, well, you could be a Christian without being a disciple. And as I confessed last week, for many years, I would have said the same thing. Yeah, sure, I'm sure you can be a Christian without being a disciple, but um, I learned that I was wrong about that. In fact, um, if, if you, like I, tried to base my understandings of Jesus and, and faith on the Bible, um, when I look at the Bible and when we look at the Bible, we don't see the word Christian really used very much at all. So according to the New Testament, according to the teachings of Jesus, there's no like room for someone who's a Christian but not a disciple. Um, in fact, we looked at this uh, interesting fact. Uh, does anybody remember how many times in the Bible the word Christian gets used? Anyone? Three times. Okay, harder question. Another pop quiz. Here we go. How many times in the Bible does the word disciple get used? Ooh, 268 is what I said. And then someone corrected me, a better disciple corrected me and told me it's 269. So really, I just wanted to correct that. So either way, all through the New Testament... What they referred to themselves as were disciples. Followers of Jesus were called disciples. And the reason I think that this is kind of helpful is that it points us to an assumption that maybe we don't have in our day as much, that that everybody back then had this built-in assumption right from the start that to follow Jesus meant following his teachings, following his way of life, uh, being a disciple of Jesus. Um, And here's the deal. Every single one of us, and when I say disciple of Jesus, I think that's important because every single one of us is being discipled. Life just disciples us, right? Consciously or not, intentionally or passively, you and I are being discipled. We're being shaped. We're being influenced by something or someone. And so just to wonder this morning, um, how are you being discipled? Because it might be Jesus, it might be Jesus, or maybe somebody has made it look like Jesus, but it's strict religion. 
Um, or maybe just kind of assume that, uh, like a lot of our culture, you're being discipled, formed, shaped by politics. Uh, or maybe you are being formed and shaped by a drive for wealth, a drive for success, or power. Maybe that's what's influencing you. Those voices are discipling you towards those things. Maybe the thing that has influence, the thing that most disciples you, and this is true of a lot of our culture, are opinions on social media or podcasts. Maybe that's what really shapes you, forms you, disciples you. If you were to just look at your life and lay it out, maybe that's what's discipling you. But the truth is, we're all being discipled. We all give uh, precedence or authority to voices that actually influence what we believe, what we actually believe, and, and then uh, how we live it out. And so, again, in that sense, you and I um, are a disciple to something, or some one. And for a bit here in the message, what I want to talk about, I want to say this. I want to say how you are discipled, even in a church where it's supposed to be discipled unto Jesus, how we are discipled really does matter. In fact, this came up for me, this whole part of the first part, half, first half of the message came up because of the conversation we had in our small group on Tuesday night, and the conversation uh, was around the word discipleship, around discipleship. Um, now, just so you know, what happens in small group, typically what happens in small group stays in small group. Unless you're in the pastor's small group, then it's all sermon illustration fodder. So, <laughs> just kidding. I asked permission. I asked permission to share this part. So, um, now, some of us, uh, and in our small group, we talked about this, my, myself included, uh, some of us grew up in church systems, and when we were pressed and had to kind of think a little more about the word discipleship, we, we had to admit that there was, some of us had a strong negative reaction, and other, others of us had kind of a, right? And the reason we had kind of a reaction to that word discipleship was because of how discipleship in that religious system or that church was actually done. One person, um, this is kind of my summary, but they essentially said, hey, the church I was raised in, discipleship was pushed as something that just the serious Christians did, but there was also this pressure that if you wanted to appear like you cared about the important stuff of God, then you'd do all the extra stuff that they required in order for you to be considered a disciple. Interesting perspective, right? Interesting perspective. Um, discipleship did not have a great connotation for that person. Another person in our group talked about how, um, again, this is my summary, essentially discipleship was used as a way to get people to serve, right? Especially people would use that verse where Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to lay down your life, take up a cross, which, by the way, Jesus did say that, but that kind of phrase, that idea, uh, can get twisted really easy, and their experience was, was that that kind of message got twisted uh, into this message. Um, okay, so you want to be a disciple? Then burn yourself out for Christ. Serve and exhaust yourself because, I mean, Jesus died on the cross, so the least you can do is be miserable and take care of everybody else's needs but your own. Anybody ever been around something like that to some degree? Um, now, sadly, that's not an uncommon message. The stuff we talked about in our small group, that wasn't just coincidentally a small sample size from our group. Um, because hear me, um, that's not uncommon, but I'm here to tell you 
Doug's view here, that brand of discipleship, that's not what Jesus came to bring. It's not what Jesus came to bring. And maybe you're one of the people that you've been around church systems enough or you've seen Christians enough that you hear the word discipleship or you hear serving or you hear the word sacrifice and it kind of triggers fear. It maybe puts some pressure on you to start thinking that you're not good enough, that you're not doing enough, that God is really disappointed in you, so you better get serious about this. You better become a disciple in that vein. And if that's anything similar to what you might experience when you think about or hear the word discipleship or serving or any of those assorted things, I got good news for you. I got good news. That is not, that stuff is not discipleship unto Jesus. That kind of discipleship is not discipleship to the good news of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. That stuff that's pressured and shame-based, that performance stuff, it is a type, of, a type of discipleship. But it's not following the actual way of Jesus that Jesus himself laid out for us. In fact, Jesus knew that people were being shaped, formed, discipled that way in his day, and he calls out that unhealthy, unhelpful brand of discipleship in Matthew 23. He's teaching the crowds and his disciples, and there's some stuff in here that he says, like read the whole chapter and you go, wow, holy cow, Jesus, this is really strong stuff. And he's, he's directing some of these comments at the teachers of the religious law of the day and the Pharisees, these religious elite of the day. And he says the way that they're treating their positions of teaching, of discipling people, these teachers, Jesus says, verse 4, Matthew 23, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. He's saying they heap up all these pressure and demands, their vision of the high standards of God's holiness. They're putting legalism on people. And by doing that, it does what legalism always does. It wears people out. It makes people tired. And then Jesus goes on in the chapter. We skip down a little bit. He gives seven warnings, seven woes about all these teachers of the law, those kinds of people that are discipling people that way. Again, I'll just highlight a few of them because of time, but it's really fascinating. Um, I'll read a few of these woes and then his parting shot. Verse 15, Jesus says, again, imagine this, by the way, as Jesus says this really harsh stuff, he's just a few days from being arrested and crucified. He's in Jerusalem. So put that context in your mind as Jesus, who knows it's coming, says this kind of stuff. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It's not very Christian of you, Jesus. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, which is another word for disciple or follower, to win another follower. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are right? When you disciple them, they're actually worse off because you're discipling them into stuff that's not life-giving. It's going to feel like hell, not freedom. And it's kind of like, whoa, Jesus. Jesus, do you want to tell us how you really feel about these people, right? <laughs> well, actually, he's just getting warmed up, and, and I'm just skipping through some of these. They're all pretty harsh, but uh, whoa, verse 25, he says, woe to you. 
teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's like the fourth or fifth time just in this passage that he calls them hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. He continues this theme of saying, hey, you're faking it outside because inside you're just trying to hide what's really there. Verse 27, he kind of continues that same theme. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside. On the inside, though, they're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean in the same way. So now, in case they've been able to skip what he's actually talking about, he spells it out in the same way. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wit- wickedness. He, he's saying, hey, for you guys, how things look is what really matters. And if how things look on the outside is what matters, then how things really are on the inside, where it counts, how things really are never get dealt with. If how things look on the outside, that's what really matters, then how things really are on the inside never get dealt with. According to Jesus. See, see, um, these guys looked really good on the outside, which is, by the way, part of why some uh, pastor mentors of mine through the years have drilled this idea into me. Doug, when, when you are entrusted to lead and shepherd a church, Don't give influence to Pharisees, no matter how good or polished or knowledgeable they seem, because if they're not emotionally and spiritually healthy, if they're not emotionally healthy, like able to to be honest about their own inner struggles, their own pain and failure, they can't be honest about that inside stuff. You can't trust them to care for other people when they struggle, because they'll just put that exterior stuff on and load them up. Don't trust those kinds of people. And as Jesus wraps up his strong words for these legalists, and again, remember, he's confronting the respectable folks, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the rabbis, these elite Jewish leaders. Here's how he wraps it up. In verse 33, here's his closing salvo. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Wow. Wow. Um, Can you imagine, like, Again, it's a crowd of people in Jerusalem, packed. People are listening to Jesus, and he's saying this kind of stuff. It's like, whoa, whoa, Jesus. They're thinking, Jesus, you're not being very nice here, right? You sound kind of harsh. I mean, you know, Jesus, there's a book um, that hasn't been written yet that you really should read, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, Maybe just kind of ease up a little bit. But you guys, I say this here frequently, um, so most of you that have been around kind of know the answer here. The only people who seem to raise Jesus' ire, the only people we see Jesus get outwardly angry with, the only people that Jesus is harsh with are not the, the lost or the sinners. The only people he gets harsh with are the who? Yeah, the Pharisees, the legalists, the people who were actually supposed to disciple people towards the heart of God, they were instead damaging people, distorting who God is and what matters most to God in order to get their agenda, their needs, their ego fed. And friends, 
Jesus is a good rabbi, so he cares how people are taught. But Jesus is also called the good shepherd. And think about a shepherd. A good shepherd protects the sheep. A good shepherd watches out, cares for the sheep, makes sure that attacks are thwarted or fought off. And you think about what a shepherd would have to deal with, like sometimes the sheep are biting each other, right? <laughs> the shepherd has to take seriously how to deal with biting sheep, biting him, biting, right? That's part of the deal, right? But sometimes it's a wolf who the shepherd has to deal with. Other times it's like what Jesus says in Matthew seven fifteen. Other times it's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing that the shepherd has to deal with. And as my pastor, mentor, Dave Johnson says, if you take the mask off of a wolf, don't be surprised when it doesn't lick your hand. <laughs> right? It's like you stand up to a bully, you push back on someone who wants their way or gets power. Don't be surprised that it doesn't lick your hand. It's probably going to bite you. Which brings me back to the words we were reading from Jesus that sounded really harsh in Matthew 23. They sound really harsh. But remember, those harsh-sounding words, that was an example of Jesus being protective of the sheep. But, and he knew it would happen, but it also cost him his life. He knew it would. That Matthew 23 scene as I told you, happened just days. He calls them out just days later. He's arrested and crucified. So Jesus knew that confrontation would cost him. But he did it anyways. Because that's how strongly he feels. And that's how strongly he wanted it to be clear that he takes it very seriously. When, when God's people, his sheep, when God's sheep are abused and misled in the kind of discipleship that doesn't lead people to the heart of God. I mean, just let that sink in, what Jesus did here. And when he did it, he picks a fight with these men that everybody else thought were spiritually mature, righteous, but Jesus' priority is to protect the flock, to warn the sheep, to help them recognize Right before he's giving his life, he wants them to see clearly that following his way is quite different than following that way. Because how we are discipled, even in a church or biblical context, how we are discipled matters deeply to Jesus. It matters. And I just think, friends, you know, maybe you're someone here today that you were discipled, quote-unquote, in a religious performance kind of way. Maybe you were on that treadmill of never good enough or there's pressure and shame and obligation to get you to do stuff and get you to serve. And it was the kind of discipleship that left you feeling burnt out, guilty, or defeated. And if you experienced that, hear me, that, that is not discipleship unto Jesus. It might have been discipleship unto legalism or discipleship unto the ego of the person who wanted to say that they were controlling, I mean, discipling you. But it was not discipling you in the way 
of Jesus, according to Jesus. They might have even had good intentions, but... See, see if even if they put the name of Jesus on it, oh, it's just a discipleship to Jesus, right? Um, or, or even if it was at a, a good church, or even at this church, maybe. But it didn't lead you to walking with God, to freedom, to grace, to living loved by God. I, I just want to, like... I want to put my pastor hat on for a moment, for whatever that's worth. I want to put my pastor hat on um, and, and speak to you if you experience that. And that word pastor is shepherd. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. And those of us who pastor under Jesus, we get to be under shepherds. And as we, and me especially right now, as I serve under Jesus, the good shepherd, as an under shepherd, it grieves my heart when sheep in the flock of Jesus, when they're hurt even by other sheep, like sheep who bite, right, Ever, That grieves my heart. But I also really hate it that sometimes people get hurt by other people who are supposed to guide and care for and shepherd and give grace to folks when they need it. People, you'd be like, oh, I thought they would know better. They've been a Christian for a long time. And maybe they were not discipled unto Jesus either. That's very possible. But as a pastor, um, I just want to tell you that if you were uh, at a church, this church or another church, if you were spiritually abused ever, if you've been spiritually abused or mistreated or shamed, um, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. My heart goes out to you. I'm so sorry. And as a pastor in this church... Um, and I'm a pastor who is not perfect, has a long way to grow, and still has all kinds of stuff God is shaping and forming in me. But as a pastor, imperfect pastor in this church, um, as someone who wants God's people um, to experience uh, love and grace as they learn to follow Jesus, um, if that's not what you experienced in any church, I just, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry that happened to you. We don't always get it right here. I don't always get it right here. Ask the staff. They get to see me up close and missing the mark all the time. Um, but that's where we're aiming. That's the place we want to be. That's what a family, a grace-based family looks like. And if you didn't experience that, I'm, I'm really, really sorry you haven't or I didn't, but, but I have good news for you. I got really good news for you. <laughs> there is another way. No matter how you've been discipled, in what way or manner, with whatever heart or direction, however that's happened to you in the past, I have good news for you. See, being a disciple of Jesus, following the actual Jesus is completely different when it comes to discipleship. Discipleship and following Jesus is, is not an obligation, it's an invitation for us to learn to walk with God, to live in grace and freedom and find life. For us to learn to live loved by this God who already loves us. And so when Jesus invites you to be his disciple, it's an invitation, right? Walk his way. He's saying, okay, come follow me. It's not a demand, it's an invitation. Come follow me. See, there's different ways that this can get looked at, and so I think that's why it's so important to look at why the way of Jesus looks the way that I'm at least presenting it to 
us today. Because Jesus had a particular way, a particular interpretation of what it looked like to be a disciple. In fact, there's an interesting thing about rabbis in Jesus' day. Each one of the rabbis had a way that they taught folks. They had a yoke. It was called a yoke, an interpretation, how they interpreted the Hebrew scriptures, and then how they applied those scriptures to the people that they taught. That was called a rabbi's yoke. And so if you were a learner and you wanted to take on the yoke of a rabbi and become a student, a disciple, an apprentice, a follower, it's all the same thing, right? You would say, oh, I'm going to subscribe to that rabbi's way, their yoke. And and in doing that, we're saying, yes, I will abide by the yoke, um, the, the, the way this rabbi shows us to live in accordance with God's word. So I'm going to put myself under their yoke. And Jesus had a very particular way that his yoke worked. And there were other people that had yokes that were quite different. I mean, just imagine if you were someone that put your yoke under one of the rabbis that Jesus goes after in Matthew 23, where he said, you know, hey, they, here's how they treated their disciples. They tie up. The rabbis tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, put, their, put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Which sounds like super life-giving, right? <laughs> but that's being discipled unto sin management or religious performance. There's no mercy, there's no grace. And so one day, because the truth is how we are discipled, how it matters, what the different yoke of different rabbis looks like, Jesus was teaching about one of the big differences between following him and his yoke versus following the yoke of these dead, lifeless, soul-sucking ways of hypocritical religious elites. He's going to point this out. He says this, and he says this, by the way, to all of us. Jesus says, come to me. All, all, not just the elite, not just the ones that made the cut, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my, oh, there's the word, yoke upon you and learn from me. Just pause, like Jesus is acknowledging we have a yoke, right? Something's discipling us. We all have a way that we do life, approach our world, and maybe it's by default or maybe it's the yoke somebody handed you or gave you, some other rabbi, whatever other yoke. Jesus is saying, here's the difference between my yoke and that yoke. Put that yoke down. I want you to carry my yoke. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, it says. Learn from me, by the way. Another term for discipleship, being a disciple. For, back now to verse 29, for I am gentle, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And you find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, says Jesus about following him. Big difference, big difference. He's saying, hey, if you choose my yoke, my way of following me, you're going to find rest inside. You, you might find peace that you didn't even know existed. And for some of us, we hear that version of discipleship to Jesus. 
And if that version that I just painted for you right there, if that stands in stark contrast to what you were presented with by your pastor, your priest, your parents, or someone who tried to disciple you, maybe they meant well, but if you came away constantly weary, burdened, heavy, worn out, burnt out, and disillusioned, I'm just looking at scripture here. They didn't give you Jesus. They didn't give you Jesus. Because, and... By the way, legalists hate this verse. <laughs> but Jesus says his yoke feels easy, especially compared to the other yokes people are carrying. And, and he says together, that's how yoking works, together with him, the weight you pull will feel light. And that together with him um, takes us back to this idea again of the yoke. Yes, it meant one thing for a rabbi, but it also pointed to the yoking of oxen back in their day, farm animals. There's a picture on screen here. You'd have a pair of oxen, usually side by side. Together they'd pull the burden, they'd plow the field, they'd do whatever they needed to do. And they had two because they knew if it was just one, that ox would get uh, worn out way quicker. But together, yoked together, it was doable. Now, just imagine in your mind's eye with me being yoked to Jesus. Like just picture yourself now linked to Jesus. And I wonder if whatever burden you carry, whatever difficult thing you have to go through, could, could you see him even right now linked to you, yoked to you? And together he's pulling with you. And I'm pretty sure we could all say that Jesus is pulling with us. He's doing all the heavy lifting, okay? <laughs> but with Jesus, that picture right there, that with Jesus, the yoke is now easy. The burden is light. See, friends, when discipleship goes wrong, sometimes it's just a subtle twist. And the subtle twist is this. It becomes performance for Jesus rather than life with Jesus. There's a difference. It's focused on performance for Jesus, striving, instead of life with Jesus. And that's when the yoke gets heavy and the burden is exhausting. See, according to Jesus, again, this is not just, hey, Doug has a great idea to make us feel good this morning, right? Following Jesus, according to Jesus, according to Scripture, is not supposed to leave us always feeling weighed down and worn out. Following Jesus actually gives us places sometimes of rest. And so whatever you do take on, because we still serve, right? So as you serve, as you live out your life's call, whatever you do take on, God doesn't give you this unbearable burden, but he carries it with you, yoked with you, to make it an appropriate weight. See, that's the difference. When we choose to follow Jesus, it's not this demand, it's not this pressure, it's an invitation. It's not about sin management, it's about living in grace, freedom, and life with Jesus alongside you. Now, with all of these pieces in mind, discipleship gone wrong, Jesus' feelings toward that matter, Jesus being a good shepherd, <laughs> and the yoke of Jesus 
that often seems to get lost when others disciple or come up with a way of pressuring as discipleship. With all that in mind, let's remember the word disciple. Disciple. Okay, again, what's a disciple? Again, we've, we've talked about this last week and other weeks. A disciple's a learner, a student, an apprentice, a follower. A disciple wants to be with their teacher, become like their teacher, and learn to do what their teacher does. So that's a disciple. So then, how that worked in the life of a disciple in practical, I mean, it sounds wonderful, but how did they live that out? How did they live that out? So on a practical level, a disciple would go to their teacher, go to their rabbi, and say, hey, I'm trying to make this decision, rabbi, how would you handle this? Um, and he'd say, and you go, okay, well, that's how I want to handle it, right? Or I'm trying to decide how to respond in this particular situation, how would you respond in that situation? Oh, okay, that's how I'll respond, right? Rabbi, what would you do about this if you were me? Oh, okay, well, that's what I want to do, right? Rabbi, where are you going? Because that's where I want to go. See, a disciple looks to this experienced teacher that they trust, someone they really respect and has the humility. A disciple has the humility to listen to the teacher, this posture of, okay, Rabbi, I trust you to give me direction and show me the best way to live my life. In fact, the, 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 the disciples would trust this rabbi so much, their posture of a disciple would be, okay, Rabbi, if you ask me to do something, before, before I even know what you're asking me to do, the answer is yes, right? Whatever you ask, the answer is already yes, so what's the question, right? That's the posture of a disciple, which, which makes it so important, friends, to know at least three things about the rabbi. We're going to need to know that the rabbi is good. If you're going to follow that kind of wholehearted devotion, then you'd need to know that the rabbi can be trusted. And the third thing is you'd need to believe that the rabbi knows what he's talking about, Right? To be that committed of a follower or disciple that's going to do whatever the rabbi says, committed to their yoke, you would want to know that the rabbi is good. The rabbi can be trusted, and the rabbi knows what he's talking about. So, another pop quiz here, and this is just for the Christians in the room. If you're not a Christian, feel no test pressure here, all right? It's a true or false statement. I'll read it, and then you guys yell out true or false. Jesus is the wisest, smartest, most brilliant person who ever lived. True or false? Okay, we've got some Christians in the room. This is good, right? Yeah. Now, hopefully all of Jesus' followers would be able to say true or yes to that, right? Um, um, I mean, you know, especially if you agree that Jesus was, was God and all. So, but, okay, now again, following that statement, and I'm only talking to Christians here, and this one you don't have to answer out loud. So if then Jesus is the wisest, smartest, most brilliant person who ever lived, next question, do we live like we believe he knows what he's talking about? Do we live like we believe he knows what he's talking about? Me included, right? I'm a follower, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Um, do I live like I actually believe that he knows what he's talking about? For example, if I think you know, this about something... But Jesus in Scripture says that, what am I going to do? Especially if I think this, but Jesus in Scripture say that, and I don't think that what Jesus in Scripture say actually makes sense, okay, then what will I do? Will I trust and follow him, 
Or will I go my own way? See, again, being a disciple means learning to trust. Like, okay, well, Jesus, I don't get this one for sure, but I will trust you. You're my rabbi. I'm going to follow you. I trust you. I choose your way, trusting, okay, Jesus, you know what you're talking about. See, a disciple lives their life that way. And that can feel like a heavy burden. Like people can turn that into legalism really quick. But if we remember what the yoke of Jesus actually is like, it gives us a different lens to see it through. It maybe invokes a little more trust to imagine trusting his way would be the right way to go. And so, like, the Bible doesn't give specific answers to every situation uh, of our life. So how are we going to decide about this or that? Well, what's the Bible or what did Jesus say? I'm a disciple, I'll follow that, right? The Bible doesn't necessarily spell out everything, but the truth is, actually, Scripture is very specific on some things that we kind of find easy to ignore. Me, at least, too often, I can just kind of gravitate and go my own way. I don't know about you, but I find that happens even as I'm trying to follow Jesus. I just kind of go, well, this is the way I'm going with this, right? I mean, let's get really practical as followers of Jesus. Keeping in mind his yoke, the way his yoke is, right? Keep that in mind. Apply this idea of following Jesus to questions around real-life topics, like, you know, easy ones to talk about, like money, right? It's money, okay? So... Like when Jesus talks about money, and he actually talks about money and generosity a lot, but if and when what he teaches about money doesn't line up with how I handle my finances, I have a decision as a follower of Jesus to make. Will I trust Jesus' way or my way? Or another easy topic, how about sex? How about sex? When, when Jesus and Scripture talk about sex, but, but, but what if, what if what the Bible and what Jesus teaches about sex doesn't align with the way that I handle sex or sexuality, then will I trust Jesus' way, which is supposed to be his yoke? Will I trust his way or mm, stick with my way? Like, do, I mean, come on, does... Do I think that Jesus actually knows what he's talking about, or has all that stuff become outdated and archaic? Um, what about forgiveness? Jesus in the New Testament talk about forgiveness, all of Scripture actually. What if, if what he teaches about forgiveness doesn't align with how I'm handling forgiveness, then I have to decide, will I trust Jesus' way or my way? Like, does Jesus actually know what he's talking about or is loving our enemies optional these days, right? See, we can apply under the yoke of Jesus, which is not burdensome but serious. We can apply the same idea, okay? Am I following Jesus' way or my way? Am I following Jesus' way or am I following my group's way, the group of people that I agree with when it comes to things like, I don't know, politics or, or policy or areas of justice in the world? Like, if I read what Scripture teaches, and if I'm a follower of Jesus, then no matter what popular opinion your favorite news network or political party is pushing, followers of Jesus have to choose, will I trust Jesus' way or my way? That one's really hard right now. 
Because some people try to kind of confuse the matter. But there's a lot of stuff that's pretty clear. And really, friends, sometimes like trusting and obeying what Jesus taught, like, oh, that seems so hard. It actually sometimes protects us, right? And it does that because, friends, Jesus knows what he's talking about. He really does. Like, I don't always know why he says the things he says or teaches the things he teaches. And sometimes the ways of Jesus, I get it, like they seem counter to the ways that my normal reflexive way of responding, responding and handling things is. So I'm ready to go this way, but if Jesus calls me that way, in the end, and I don't get this right all the time, <laughs> for sure, but I really want to trust and follow his way, his yoke, as I learn to be a disciple of Jesus in every every area of my life, not because it'll make him happier with me, but because I trust him and he knows what he's talking about and it will be for my good and yours. You know, that's why we talk, we say that following Jesus phrase around here all the time, following Jesus, because it's about following Jesus. It's not just about believing the right thing or calling ourselves Christians, it's about following Jesus because he does know what he's talking about. In fact, it gets really practical when we say, you know, actually following Jesus will make your life better, and it'll make you better at life. I mean, it's really that practical. Following Jesus will make your life better, and it'll make you better at life. It'll make you a better neighbor, a better friend, a better family member, father, mom, husband, spouse, wife. It'll make you a better employer, employee. It'll make you a better son, a better daughter. It'll make you a better person. Not just because you say, oh, I believe that that thing is true and I'm going to wear the label Christian, but because you and I begin to follow Jesus to actually do life the way he shows us. And this is the reason why following Jesus, that invitation to follow Jesus in his way is so crucial. And I can imagine maybe for some of us, or maybe this was just my journey this week of having to face some things I didn't want to face, but maybe for some of us, besides me, um, something can rise in looking at following Jesus, and it starts to feel like burdensome and hard and too difficult, and I don't know if I want to give him, I don't want to follow, that would be really tricky to actually have to follow his teaching on that one. Some of us go, oh man, if I follow Jesus, I recognize I got a lot of things that are going to have to change I'd rather just wear the label Christian, <laughs> but not actually follow Jesus. Um, and maybe you're feeling that. Hey, listen, it's understandable, and God is merciful and patient. But he invites you to make a decision, and if we trust him, stepping into that decision actually is going to lead us toward life, even if it feels like, oh, that would be really hard to follow him in that area. And especially if it feels hard or you feel kind of afraid or nervous of making a decision to follow Jesus, um, I want to remind you that whether it's following Jesus for the first time or coming back to Jesus or, or you're just going, oh man, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm seeing areas where I've got to follow him, wherever it is that you're going, oh, I feel challenged, I need to follow Jesus in this particular area, remember this, when you decide to follow Jesus According to Jesus, you are not alone in it. You don't have to pull that weight with your own strength. Right? Let me reread that Matthew 11 passage where Jesus talks about 
his way, his yoke, how it works to follow him. He says again, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my way upon you. Learn from me. Be my disciple, says Jesus. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Make sure you hold this up next to the other calls of Jesus that are happening in your life and remember that you can trust him because he's going to bring this into the mix. He's going to be in it with you as you follow him. You're not alone. You're not alone. He is in it with you. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates that same Matthew 11 passage in, in, in uh, the message. Verse 28 to 30. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Anybody, by the way? Anyone? Just me? Just me? A couple of us? You're tired, worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, says Jesus. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, I love this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What an invitation from Jesus into what it looks like to follow him, what it actually is framed as. As the worship team comes and, and uh, prayer team, I'm going to ask you to take um, your place in the prayer area. And by the way, friends, today, when the music starts, um, you don't have to wait for the music to be over to go get prayer. You can move as we start singing in a bit to go and receive prayer from our prayer team. So prayer team, if you would take your place in back there. But again, these words of Jesus, what an invitation he gives to us in his word. This is not Doug trying to make this sound really good and happen. This is the invitation of Jesus, almost too good to be true, so good to be true that some people do not even want to wrestle through it because they prefer just having the rules and the checklist. But for me, especially this, this framework from Matthew 11, so encouraging for me because when I find things about following Jesus that seem like, oh, that would be really difficult, or that would be really hard, what I, what, I, what I want to do is hold this invitation of the yoke of Jesus, I want to hold this, this verse next to those other things that are said because this verse reminds me that even if the other stuff sounds hard, that ultimately following Jesus, taking on the yoke of Jesus results in rest. Like, 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 when I wrestle through the hard teachings of Jesus, um, things like, hey, Doug, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross. Whew, that sounds hard. But when I hold that up next to Jesus' promise that taking on his yoke leads to living in the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus saying, I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and 
lightly. I hold those two passages and ideas from Jesus next to each other. And and even if it sounds confusing, instead of me going, wow, lay down your life, that sounds life-sucking grind if I follow Jesus. But when I remember all of it together, I can take a deep breath. And I can see, I, I can see a new lens that I get to see those other passages that might sound difficult through. And, and my response in those moments can be this, okay, okay, Jesus, I don't really want to forgive this person who's been damaging and been manipulative, but I'm going to trust, trust that you know what you're talking about. Or, or um, maybe it's, Jesus, you know, you talk a lot about generosity and giving, and I've been gripping money so tightly that maybe now money is gripping me. So in spite of my fear around finances, I want to give now and be generous. Maybe that's how following Jesus is going to look like for you or, or maybe even, okay, okay Jesus, I, I think that the people that act like enemies and treat me like their enemy, I think that they're severely misguided and I don't want anything to do with them but I see what you say about loving our enemies and, and I trust that you know what you're talking about so, so Jesus, help me follow you by learning to love my enemies because Jesus Jesus I really want to follow you I want to be a disciple I want to trust you and surrender to you I want to stop holding back parts of my life I want to surrender all to you and friends it just comes to this point right now of decision you and I have to decide will we live like Jesus knows what he's talking about Will we choose to be a disciple of Jesus because every single one of us is being discipled by something or someone? So let's be intentional in choosing the way of Jesus. As this song plays, um, it's a song of surrender. And again, as soon as we begin singing, if you want somebody to pray with you, our prayer team's right in back. You can go right now. You don't have to wait till service is over. But I just want us to take this song as a posture of prayer and let your heart soak in it. And, and if you are ready to surrender all to Jesus, then when you catch on to the words, um, sing them back to Jesus as a place, as a way of surrendering to him and following Jesus.